for that song. Um, man, who we are as Restoration Church comes back to several years ago, the, the, the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 about the two lost sons. And some of you today might be that son that um, you know you're far away. And I love how the, the scripture says that he came to his senses and he came back to the father and said, Father, I've sinned against you. And the father in that moment receives him back as a son and brings him back to the table. But the, the twist in the story is that there's another son that never left home, was always in the house, and he couldn't take that this younger son was allowed to come right back into sonship, right back into the family. And the, the story really is telling us that even though that guy was in the house the whole time, he was just as lost as the brother that went away. And yet the father reaches out to both of them, and he wants them both at the table. And uh, ironically, today, this, we're, in the, we're in a series called Trust the Story. Um, this is part 10 of this story, but I've titled it Coming to the Table. Coming to the Table. And we're going to go to the book of Galatians. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Galatians. We're going to get there um, in just a moment, but... I uh, want to just recap real quick, let you know, again, there are resources available. Um, if you want to go back and re-listen to some past messages, we've got CD and DVD copies available. Um, our Facebook page has the videos. Our podcast has the audio versions of that. There are downloads available on our website with uh, timelines and maps and some explanations. Um, and I have referenced some other video series and other podcasts that I've made available but um, the book that we've been using together is called The Untold Story. And what I hope for each of us is that we're all reading um, from The Untold Story because every week that's giving us just a few pages to give us some context, some background of what we're reading. And then the books of the Bible, uh, the passages that, uh, that, we're, that we're also reading. And I, I hope you're, you're taking the time to do that. And I've made the other resources available to those who want to go deeper in this study. As I've said over the, the last several weeks, this has been an eight-year process for me, and all of the things that I've made available are just a small sampling of what I've used. Um, if uh, Dozens of podcasts, dozens of books, references, guides, study, um, my personal trip to Israel, so much has gone into this, and this is really just kind of the journey that I've been on, and I've never felt... Um, more like God has brought all of these things in my life to this point. Um, for Restoration Church, the vision he's given us, the words that, uh, uh, as I've re referenced, things like Christina and Heather over the last several weeks, but there's a lot of you out there that are posting things. You're catching the vision for things that I'm not even preaching on, but that are, are, are just really a part of what God is doing in my heart, and I love hearing that he's doing them in your heart. So continue to interact on, on Slack, on the U version, wherever it is, that, so we can um, hear the things that God is saying. Um, this idea of context, I want to, you know, I want you to think about listening to Mozart or, or Bach or Beethoven for a moment. Um, you can listen to these classical artists, these musics, and you can, you can appreciate it, you can hear it, you can like, wow, that's really good, or um, maybe you hate classical music, so maybe you're like, um, and you can benefit from it. Maybe it's soothing to you, maybe you, you're like, wow, that's really cool that that happens, and maybe the fact that, uh, I believe it was Mozart, was blind and deaf, and he could, you know, write music like that, it's like, huh? Uh, it gives you an appreciation. But if you went to school and you took music theory for several years and you began to study music theory, you would listen to Mozart and you'd listen to Bach and you'd listen to Beethoven and you would hear things that you never heard before. You'd be like, you'd be able to, you, people in the room would be like, huh, what? When we're talking about digging into the word, so you can read the Bible and the Holy Spirit can make it come alive. It can mean something. You can gain truth. You can gain understanding. But you can never exhaust the Word of God. And the more we dig in, the more we study, the more we learn, the more we grow, the more we understand. One of the rabbis talking about the Torah refers to it as a diamond. 
Basically, you can keep turning it, turning it, turning it, and always see something different. Always see another attribute of Jesus. Always see another part of God's story. It's like inexhaustible. And so whatever time level you put into this, you're going to gain something from it. And so as we've gone through this journey, um, this is so important that we continue to stay in this journey. As I said, we're a kingdom of priests And yet, God's given us a priesthood. And I believe part of my role is to help you study the Scripture. I don't think my role is just to tell you what to believe, but to help you dig out the truth for yourself, too. And that's part of what this year has been all about. I want to teach you how to mine the Scriptures so that you can gain even more understanding, more grace, more mercy, more of the presence of God in your life. And so, as we walk through this journey, please don't be overwhelmed by it. Please reach out to me if you've got questions, concerns, things you want to talk through. Because I may make some statements that you're like, hey, where'd that come from? And uh, I'd love to share my journey with you a little bit more. But as we read this last week in the, the Untold Story, we read pages 83 to 85 and the book of Galatians. Okay, and so we're going to talk about that here in just a few moments. But over the next two weeks, if you've got a handout... Of uh, that we put together. You can download this. You can get a, a paper copy here at the church. But that's the reading plan that we're doing from now through the end of this year. The next two weeks, we're going to be reading Acts chapter 15, the book of James, and pages 86 through 88. And all of that is going to go with the book of Galatians. And as we go through the message today, I'm going to tie all of this together because there's so many things that are, are happening right here in this moment. I wanted to call this sermon Drawing the Lines because what's happening here in the Jerusalem church, what's happening in the early church, they're trying to figure out what to do with the Gentile believers. Where do we draw the lines? Who's in? Who's out? Do we make them become full Jews? Do we we just let them not be full Jews? What do we do? And this is a long process that they're wrestling with. And I think this is something that the church is still wrestling with even today, 2,000 years later. We're constantly trying to draw lines and wonder who's in the kingdom, who's out of the kingdom, what denomination's right, what denomination's at my table, which one can I fellowship with, which one can I not fellowship with. And these are important questions that we have to wrestle with, and we get some guidelines from these books. So maybe this week you might need to go back and reread Galatians after we cover it today, but continue reading through Acts 15, the book of James, and you've got two weeks to read through all of this and uh, allow the Holy Spirit to bring it into your heart. From the untold story this week, we, we got a little bit of a picture of what the, the Galatians or Galatia is all like. When Paul goes through there, and there are converts that come to faith in Jesus, most of them are Gentiles, but some of them are the God-fearers, and some of them are Jews. If you remember, there are Israelites who are born in, you know, they're born in the line of Abraham, but then there are Gentiles who convert to Judaism. So they get circumcised, they agree to to follow the law. This is even before Jesus. People are converting to Judaism. They're called proselytes. But then there's this group called God-fearers. God-fearers are like Cornelius. They haven't fully converted, but they believe in the God of the, the Israelites, the God of the Jews. And so we have all of these groups, but when Paul goes through Galatia, these Gentiles that aren't necessarily God-fearers or Jews at all, they're just brand new to the faith or coming into the kingdom, but so are some God-fearers. So are some natural-born Israelites. And so all these people are coming in. And he talks about the poverty of Galatia and the fact that they don't have much of the Scripture. They only have maybe a scroll or two of the Old Testament. And so there's not a lot left behind. And as you read through that and you understand that in this context, Paul brings this message and they receive it with joy. He talks about in the the untold story that more than 50% of the population would be slaves. Now, slaves are, you can't can't tell the difference between a slave and a non-slave. Because you somehow, because of a debt or because of, uh, you know, your, you know, your kingdom was overthrown, you become a slave in different ways in this culture. And so just because you're a slave doesn't mean people are going to be able to tell you that. But most people in this culture are living day to day. 
whatever they make that day is barely enough to provide for their family. So some of them are having children. They can't care for them. So they just leave them out to die or for someone else to pick up because they, they don't know what to do. They don't even have enough funds to care for themselves. There's so much poverty. It's dirty. It's smelly. There's, uh, there's sickness. There's disease. And yet Paul comes here and he preaches this message that God is breaking down the walls between Jew and Gentile, between slave and free, between male and female. And they're all coming into the kingdom. And then he he sets up some uh, elders, some leaders, and then he goes back to Antioch. Well, he hears a report that these Judaizers, these Jews, are now telling these believers, you have to convert to Judaism. It's not enough that you just have faith in Jesus. You've got to be fully committed to the Torah, to the Judaism. And Paul's kind of ticked. You can pick that out in Galatians. He's like, what are you guys doing? And we're going to get to that in a moment. But the biggest thing you need to understand is, Remember we talked about the gospel of the kingdom of Rome with the Savior Caesar. This is a, something that was established hundreds of years in the Greek Empire, even before Jesus. So they worship the emperor as Savior. He is the Savior of the world, his kingdom. Okay, The Jews, through Herod the Great, have received an exemption that they don't have to worship Caesar. What Herod said to Caesar was, the Jews will daily offer a sacrifice in the temple for you. Now, what Caesar heard <laughs> was that the Jews were going to offer a sacrifice in the temple to him. <laughs> That's not what they're doing. They're offering it for him, and the Jews are like, oh yeah, we need to offer sacrifices for him. And so Herod has worked out this deal for the Jews that they're exempt from the worship of Caesar. So these new Christians in Galatia, in order for them to be exempt from Caesar worship, they have to be in the household of the Jews. And so there's this temptation, if the Jews don't accept us as at the table of Abraham, we're going to have to either bow down to Caesar or face consequences of death or imprisonment. So there's a temptation to convert to Judaism. Paul knows this, and he is angry. He's like, they should be accepted at the table by faith in Jesus. And that's what he's going to talk about as we go through this idea of um, what it is to, to teach Paul's gospel. One of the things I want us to understand before we get into Galatians is the Jewish understanding of what is we call the law, what is Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. When we read the word law in our mindset, we think of law as legislation. We think of law as prescriptive. So I've written these definitions for you. When you think of a document that is prescriptive, a prescriptive document demands obedience or conformity. A descriptive document expects comprehension as a response. So prescriptive is kind of how we educate people. I give you information, you spit it out on a test, okay? That's prescriptive. But descriptive is, in this type of learning, I want to make you sure you understand the material. You can apply it to real-life situations. So the testing process for descriptive is a little bit different because I, it's not just the facts. It's that you understand it in your heart. So when we think about law, legislation, what's expected is the response of obedience, but for the Jew, when they think of law, it's instruction in wisdom. It has the expected response of comprehension and application. Now, some of you might be like, well, application sort of sounds like obedience. Yes, except what happens when the laws overlap? Because the Torah says, keep the Sabbath. The Torah says, love your neighbor. So you're walking along one day, or you hear a cry on the Sabbath, and your neighbor has a donkey that falls in a well. According to Torah, you can't on the Sabbath, that's work. You can't do that. But I can't avoid helping because it's love my neighbor. What do I do? Prescriptive, ouch, I don't know which law is great. So God, does, he's not demanding his people follow the law in the sense that we think of it. 
He's asking them to follow the law. Now, I know this, this, oh, wow, this gets crazy, doesn't it? Because we're like, well, how do we know what's right? This covenant that the Jewish people have. When we go back to Leviticus 19, when God tells his people, I have made you holy, now you be holy. You show the world what I'm like because I, through the Passover lamb, have brought you out of Egypt. I've brought you to Mount Sinai, and I have made you my people. Now, here's our vows. Here's our covenant together, just like marriage vows. Here's our covenant. Here's the law. You show the world by living this way what I'm like. It's descriptive. It's comprehensive. It's instruction so that the world can see who I am. So the Jews do not believe they're justified by keeping the law. They're brought into it through birth into Abraham's line. They're brought into it by the Passover lamb. But the law is a part of keeping their covenant with God so that the whole world can know the God of Abraham. And that's the difference. And so when Paul comes to Galatians and he preaches his gospel, He's going to give us an idea in Galatians itself, starting in Galatians 1. So if you're there, he's telling them that Jew and Gentile have a place at the table of Abraham by faith in Christ. And he's combating this idea, this false gospel, that these Gentiles have to now convert to Judaism. They don't have to. Galatians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 11. I don't have time to read all of Galatians to you, but we're going to hit parts of it. He says, you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, Paul will, we know from the scriptures, he was taught by Gamaliel. And he is found in the book of Acts. He is like the Harvard of rabbis. So if you study under this guy, you, you are the cream of the crop. So Paul is saying, hey, I, under Judaism, I was the best. I was trained by the best. I had a Torah memorized. I had prophets memorized. I had writings memorized. And I persecuted the church of God vehemently because... We want the God of Torah to be seen throughout the world. And we think that Jesus violates that. That's what he thought back then. But, he says, when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicily. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Okay, back around in the Jerusalem area, he's unknown there. But up in the Galilee and beyond, he's known there. They only heard, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and he prays God for it. So what Paul is saying is, see, sometimes when we hear this and we think, well, I just need Jesus. I'm going to go off. I don't need anyone else. That's not what Paul's saying. Remember, Paul has studied the scriptures. He has learned them. But he goes off for some period of time to be trained by Jesus. It's almost like as an apostle. He is filling Judas's place, if you will, as an apostle. Remember, the apostles were chained by Jesus for three years. And it's like Jesus and Paul are spending a period of time together so he can be trained by Jesus just like the other apostles. Then he goes to Jerusalem for 15 days, and it's as if the leaders of the Jerusalem church give Paul their blessing to go out and preach this gospel. So you, you cannot misunderstand Paul. Paul's not saying, I don't care what those guys think. He does care what these guys think. He goes and he's seeking out their blessing and he's going to do it later on. He's going to do it again because he wants to make sure that what he's getting is what's in, in line with what these apostles that Jesus set up over his church 
It's in line with what they are teaching. Now, he says Peter, he says James. We believe the three pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John, are this inner circle that Jesus always took with him, Peter, James, and John. The debate comes where who is this James? We know that James, the brother of John, was murdered in AD 44, okay? He was uh, arrested and he was persecuted. It started the, the martyrdom, the persecution of the faith. Some of us believe that this James is James the son of Alphaeus or James the just, also one of Jesus' disciples. Some believe this is Jesus' half-brother, James, because it says half-brother. But that word half-brother in the original Greek can mean family line. James the son of Alphaeus is a cousin of Jesus, and that phrase could be used for James the son of Alphaeus just like it does for James, his real brother. Think of when Abraham said, hey, Sarah's my sister. Well, she really wasn't his sister, but she was in his family line so that the term sister still applied. So I believe the Peter, James, and John that Jesus took with him everywhere, this inner circle, this is the same Peter, James, and John that are the leaders of the church. Peter to the, Gen the, the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles, James, the leader of the Judean church, the Jerusalem area, and John later up in the area of Asia Minor, Asia Minor is head of all the church. Why is this important? Because they're giving Paul their blessing. This is now the inner circle, the head of the church, and they're saying, Paul, we give you blessing to preach this message. So, Galatians chapter 2. After 14 years, he goes back to Jerusalem. He goes out, he preaches this message. This time he takes Barnabas, and I also took Titus. And I went in response to a revelation. We believe that that's the famine. So he comes with the revelation of the famine. He comes to bring them an offering. And he meets privately with these esteemed leaders, presents them the gospel that he preaches among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So he's looking for some input. Hey, guys, do you? And even though Titus was with me, was Except, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. Titus is a Greek. He hasn't been circumcised. And the matter arose because some false believers who spy on our freedom in Christ Jesus and want to make us slaves, but we didn't give in to them. Then he goes on here in chapter 2, and he says, As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. Don't read that phrase as if Paul's like brushing off the church leaders and he's like, uh, yeah, I don't really care about their opinion. He does care about their opinion. But they added nothing to my message. So Paul's saying, hey, my message that I was taught by Jesus that I have uncovered has the stamp of approval of the Judean church, okay? On the contrary, they recognized I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had to the circumcised. And all they added was they wanted him to, to continue to help the poor. And he's like, I've been eager to do that all along. What I want us to see here is 14 years, the church in Jerusalem has for 14 years been trying to figure out where to draw the line. These Gentiles are coming into the kingdom. These, these apostles that are in Jerusalem, they lived with Jesus in the flesh for three years. They were with the resurrected Jesus for 40 days. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They have been refilled with the Holy Spirit when the persecution started. They have for 14 years been going to synagogue. Every year they read through the Torah in synagogue. For 14 years they've been studying the Torah. And guess what? They still don't have any idea what really to do with the Jews. And I think sometimes we get to this place where we think, you know, once I get converted, I'm going to have all the answers. Once I get converted, my faith's just going to be perfect. Once I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I got it all. 14 years, and they still are trying to process that. This is important for us because sometimes we don't let people come to our table and have conversation with us. We like to draw lines and say, well, no, you, you Gentile believers, or you're, you're this denomination, we're going to put you over here. We're still wrestling with this today. Even the Apostle Paul, 
Sometimes we, we tend to believe Paul has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit when Ananias lays his hands on him. And then all of a sudden he starts preaching and he knows everything. No. It tells us he goes off for a period of time with just Jesus. And he's got to get this thing worked out before he teaches. And even after that, he goes for 15 days to Jerusalem. And even after that, 14 years later. And even after that, we're going to find out in Acts 15, he goes back for this Jerusalem council that we're going to study this week ahead to maybe finally come to the consensus of what do we do with the Gentiles? Okay, so Paul is presenting this gospel. He's presenting why this gospel matters. Now he comes to the hinge point in Galatians chapter 3. This is why his gospel has validity. Now he's going to start telling you his gospel. You foolish Galatians. Galatia would have been like the redneck country, backwoods. So this phrase, you foolish Galatians, is actually a phrase that is cultural for Galatia. He's actually saying, you backward Galatians, you backwards, you rednecks, okay? It's a play on words. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit, work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. That is, as it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on, relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith, which, by the way, he pulls out of the prophet Habakkuk right there, that phrase, the righteous will live by faith. Paul takes his gospel. He points all the way back to Genesis 18 to where Abraham first comes and is declared righteous. He is declared righteous by God for believing before circumcision, before Torah. But these things, Paul's going to go on. Torah, circumcision, they had a place. They have a reason. But God saw in advance that his people and the Gentiles would be declared righteous by faith in Jesus. Again, Torah is not for justification. It's for living out the covenant as God's people. When we think of the word holy, we think of it in our culture as someone who's moral, someone who's religious. For the Jew, the word holy means to be set apart or to be distinct. So when God says to his people, I've made you holy, now be holy as I am holy. What he's saying is be distinct like me so that when other people look at you, they see me. And I have written this covenant on tablets of stone for you so that you can remember it. But on the day of Pentecost, the tablets were done away with and it's written on our hearts. As Gentile believers, the Torah is written upon our hearts so that we can now by the Spirit, we can live out the covenant that God has had. And I, I want you to understand this. You have to understand how earth-shattering this is for Jews. What, what Paul is saying is anyone who claims faith in Jesus, whether they're circumcised, uncircumcised, whether they keep Torah or they don't keep Torah, has full access to the table of Abraham and is declared a son, a daughter of God. Whoa. I mean, for us, we've heard it all the time, so we're like, well, yeah, we, we get that. This is huge for them, and they're wrestling with it. And through chapters 3, through chapter 4, through chapter 5, he's continuing to drive this point home to help them know, hey, 
stop trying to make the Gentiles believe, believe the Torah and get circumcised. Because if you get circumcised, you got to keep the Torah. you got to convert fully to Judaism. Understand this. The Jews, from this point forward, will continue to keep Torah. Okay, Paul, when he preaches to the Jews, he preaches Torah. Okay, they're not justified by it. They're still justified by faith. But they believe their covenant with God still carries. So they want to continue to be faithful to Torah because it's their vows to him. They don't believe they're justified by it, but they believe it's their calling. But when Paul preaches to the Gentiles, he says, no, your calling is to only be justified by faith in Christ and come to the table. Don't yoke yourself to Judaism, but we're together at the same table. That's why Paul gets often accused of being a people pleaser. He preaches one thing to the Jew, one thing to the Gentile, because Paul understands the calling of the Jew, the calling of the Gentile are two different callings sitting at the same table. That's profound, and that's powerful, and it's groundbreaking. Uh, he is ahead of other people, and uh, his, his writings are hard to understand. I want to look at one passage from Galatians chapter 4, and then we're going to get to some in Galatians 5 and 6. But this phrase, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you his heir. Now, I've often wondered, what is the fullness of time? Why did Jesus come at this point? Why didn't Jesus come right after exile? Why 400 years from exile to the, the birth of the Messiah? Why didn't he come after the fall of the Roman Empire? What is it about this time period that's so important? And there is so much happening culturally that is the perfect timing for the Messiah. I don't claim to know uh, the ways of God enough to know why this is exactly the right time period, but one part of it is the introduction of Hellenism. Remember we talked about Hellenism over the last couple weeks. The Greek Empire, okay, the gospel of the Greeks has come onto the scene. And to get you to buy into it, they, the pillars of Hellenism are education, healthcare, entertainment, athletics. So we want to buy into this because, hey, this is a kingdom. I want to be a part of it. The Jews are trying to wrestle with what to do with this cultural kingdom. Okay? There are basically five people groups in this 400-year period that exist on the earth. I don't have time to go into what all of these people groups are, but every single one of these people groups brings something to the table, and every one of them have a difficulty. The first two, the Sadducees and the Herodians, we see both of those in the Gospels. Both of them, they like Hellenism. Okay? Now, don't be too hard on them because you and I like Hellenism too. If you've got an iPhone, an iPad, or uh, an, uh, um, a Mac computer, guilty, right here on the table, uh, you buy into Hellenism. If you like indoor plumbing, you like Hellenism. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the culture. But not all of the Jews are going to buy into that. Hey, we don't need this kind of fancy furniture. We don't need indoor plumbing. We're separate from Hellenism. The Sadducees are the priests. We need priests, okay? We need the priesthood. Even as a kingdom of priests, we need priests. The problem is these priests are corrupt. They're using their priestly role to gain advantage, political power, wealth. It's unbelievable the wealth that existed in these chief priests. We sometimes think that the sad, that the 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 Sadducees and Pharisees killed Jesus. They don't. Look closely at your scripture. Jesus interacts with the Pharisees for three years of his ministry. They never once kill him. He interacts with the chief priests, the Sadducees, for about two weeks in Jerusalem, and they crucify him because he's going to get Rome to take away their political power. He's messing with the balance of power. He's in the way. That's why they crucify him, and that's why they take him, take his life. So, good and bad. The Herodians are basically Jews that accept 
hey, we want this, this cultural stuff, and it's good because it gives them access to the culture. The bad thing is uh, it makes them susceptible to idolatry. The Essenes are people we don't see in the Scripture. And the reason we don't see them in the Scripture is they're out in the desert, totally separate from Hellenism, totally separate from the culture. We just want to study the law, committed to the law. If you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls or Qumran, thank the Essenes. Most of our Bible comes from them. We can validate it because of their work. The problem with them is they're out in the wilderness all by themselves and they're not interacting with culture at all to be the light they've called to, been called to be. The zealots, the Pharisees, are a group of people known as the Hasidim. We see both of them in Scripture. They're both committed to Torah. They're both committed to the law. But the zealots are more political. The problem, we need zealots, okay? Hear me. We need zealots. Otherwise, you and I are just going to keep studying the Scriptures, and we're never going to do anything. Zealots are like, we got to do something. The problem with zealots is sometimes they cut off people's ears. So they've got some issues. The Pharisees committed to obey God. We've got to follow the law. We've got to obey God. We've got to be true to Him. We want to live out the commands of God. We want to please Him. But do you know what the problem with the Pharisees are? They lack compassion. How many times did Jesus tell them, you lack compassion? You're putting these heavy burdens on people, but you forget their people. Wow, ouch. Now, there's a Bema podcast that we're going to link. He actually goes through each of these groups individually. I'm telling you, it's, the, it's profound, it's powerful. If you have time to listen, I'd encourage you to listen. Because what happens is, these groups are all drawing lines. Our way is the only way. Jesus picks a group of 12 guys to follow him around with a mix of all of this. Because their belief systems, they all think that, why do you think they argue so much? Why do you think they all think they're the greatest? Because my way's the right way. And Jesus is like, guys, you got to understand, there's a seat for every one of you at the table. All of you bring something to the table. All of you have a perspective to share. But when you start drawing these lines and you start saying, you're in, you're out, you're this, you're that, what happens is you keep people away from the table. Paul is preaching a gospel of inclusion. Now, when you hear that word, some of you are like, whoa, that's universalism. That means everybody gets saved. No, it is not. Everyone is not saved. It's only by faith in Jesus that we are saved. Well, then you're saying once we put faith in Jesus, we can live however we want. No, there is a way that we have to live. But we have to do it in the context of community. And what we like to do still today, this is what the Judaizers did. They're drawing lines. They're saying, you're not at the table. You're outside the, the kingdom. You're this, you're that. We still like to do it today. We don't like to try to correct people up close. We want to do it from afar. We like to judge that denomination. Even though we haven't sat at the table with members of that denomination, we, we've made up our mind from the distance. We know they're wrong. And Paul is saying, guys, if you put faith in Jesus, in John chapter 15, John says, Jesus, in the words, John writes the words of Jesus. If you come to me, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Now, he goes on to say, if I prune you, you're going to bear much fruit. But he says, you can't bear any fruit at all apart from me. So if someone comes to, to faith in Christ and they say, I believe in Jesus, I put my faith in his finished work, I, am, I get baptized, I, 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 and there is any fruit in their life at all. They're at the table. And sometimes we're like, well, it's not enough fruit for me. Or that one area of their life, there's, 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 th every single one of us at the table needs to be pruned. And the problem is, we keep pushing people away from the table instead of letting the, the Spirit of God, through our interaction with one another, prune one another so that we all grow up together into the head who is Christ. And that's what Paul goes on to say through the rest of the book of Galatians. This, I don't have time to read it, but in Galatians 5, he says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So Gentiles, don't 
try to be yoked to it. Jews, don't try to be justified by the law. It's by faith in Jesus. And you may have a different calling within that, but you have a calling. Maybe you're an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist. Maybe you're a member of the laity, but you're still a priest. And we're all called to this thing together to sit at the table, to interact with each other. And that's what I want us to read here in Galatians chapter 5. I want to start with verse 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, you're called to be free. Free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Look, what, he, he doesn't say be holy in all of your conduct or he isolates serve one another in love. Sit at the table, serve one another. For the entire law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbors yourself. Whoa, Paul. Jesus said it's two commands. Love God, love your neighbor. But what Paul is, he is implying love God. Because it's impossible for you to love your neighbor in this way if you do not love God. Because the love for our neighbor in this way only comes from God. So Paul is not doing away with love for God. He's clarifying if you claim to love God, it's going to be seen in how you do this. But if you keep biting and devouring each other, you keep drawing lines, you keep chopping off ears, you keep doing this, you're going to destroy each other. Don't do what your flesh desires. Some versions will translate that sinful nature. Literally, this is just the word flesh. It's instinct. What separates you and I from animals. Animals have flesh. We have flesh. But what separates us is our reasoning capabilities. We have soul and we have spirit. If you have come into the kingdom, you have a brand new spirit. That brand new spirit helps you override what you want to do in the flesh. You want to cut people off. You want to even use your religion to build yourself up, just like the Sadducees. But we cannot do it. We have got to use the newfound freedom we have in Christ to serve one another, not to live according to what the flesh wants to do. And then Paul goes on in Galatians 5, and I'm going to read this in its entirety. Galatians 5.19, listen to what Paul says. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Not an exhaustive list. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This does not mean when you do one of these behaviors or if you're participating in one of these behaviors and you're not getting that worked out in your life, you're off the table. That is not what Paul is saying because if Paul is saying that, then he's contradicted everything he said up to this point. I warn you, as I did before, but those who continue to live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and a self-control. And against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other's. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, here we go. Someone is, in the, is doing something in that list. You who live by the Spirit... Restore that person in a culture of gentleness. Watch the ear slicing. Watch the expectations. Watch the time period. How fast should they clean up their act? Yes, we need to keep wrestling with this. No, we should not live flippantly. No, we should not trample on the blood that made us holy. No, we should not continue to live like the Gentiles. But this table is an inclusive table where you and I in this culture have to bear each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. 
Each one should test their own actions so that they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to please the flesh, listen, if you sow to do those things that are in that list and even beyond that list, because the flesh can be tricky, if you sow to that, you will reap destruction. You will reap death. You will reap something that's not good. But if you sow to the Spirit, to please the Spirit, from the Spirit you reap life. So let us not become weary in doing good, in continuing to work this out, continuing to work it out within ourselves, to continue to work it out with one another. Because at the proper time, we reap a harvest if we do not give up. So therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In the American church, we are just as guilty of this. I have believed for years that I sit at a table in, the, in this community with other pastors of other denominations that don't see eye to eye with me, but we're at the same table and we're wrestling together to understand what Jesus is saying. And guess what? I have things to learn from them because they do Scripture differently than I do Scripture. They are maybe a part of this list, then I can see their flaw. I can see the bad part of their, their mindset or their perspective. But guess what? There's something good in their perspective that's going to help me in my perspective and understanding. And I don't know where to draw the lines. I know there are lines. I know that there is a way that, that some are out of the kingdom. But my job is to make sure that we recognize wrestle together and we keep looking out for one another and we keep helping each other to press on in a culture of gentleness, in a culture of humility, in a culture of love, not from a distance, up close at the same table. And in the American mindset, we're much like the Judaizers. We're looking at our culture outside the church doors and we're telling them, hey, Live by the Bible's code. Live the way Jesus commands. You should view marriage the way God says to view marriage. You should view uh, life the way God says to view life. And we're asking them to live up to a standard that you and I can't even live up to without the Spirit. We're just like the Judaizers trying to get people in the world to live up to a standard before they've accepted the Christ that can help them live up to the standard. So make sure the gospel we preach isn't a gospel of morality, isn't a gospel of religion, but is a gospel of the life-changing, life-transforming power of Jesus that by putting faith in his finished work brings you to the table of Abraham and helps you come into the body of Christ so that you and I together can work out our salvation together until we all reach the fullness of maturity and become just like Jesus. Amen? <laughs> that's some good stuff. And that's why this, this gospel is so profound. And we're over the next couple weeks, guys, we are going to dig into the rest of this. We're going to dig into the Jerusalem council. They're going to continue to wrestle with it in, in Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at the book of James, and we're going to see how James wrestles with this. And James is not contradicting Paul's message. He's complimenting Paul's message. This is what we need to do. Now, if you take this message, you can take a lot of the things I said today, you can take them out of context, and you can twist them, and you can make it a universal gospel. You can make it a license to do however, however you want to live, and you'd be incorrect. Or you can take the fullness of what I've said today, what Paul has written, and I challenge you, go back and read the book of Galatians now that we've covered it. Read the book of James over these next two weeks. Read Galatians. Read Acts chapter 15. Let's study this in its context now together. Let's figure out how to put it into our church context today. How do we do this with other denominations? How do we do this with other believers that maybe believe a little different or maybe they're their lives don't look as holy as our lives look. 
Our righteousness depends on Christ, and you and I are called to work this out together. And this is what I love about Restoration Church. This is the vision of who we are. This is what God's calling us to be in this community, and I'm excited for what lies ahead of us too. And so, again, I put one other assignment on there if you have time. That podcast that goes through those people groups will challenge you in your own walk with Christ. It'll challenge you how to engage our culture and yet deal with the, the dangers of our culture and how to process that together, how to process it with other believers. And so I will put the link for you on there. If you can't find it, contact me directly. But I'm excited for the days that are ahead as we wrestle through these things together and the gospel that Paul preaches, that James preaches, and that we're going to look at. We're just starting as we go through the rest of the New Testament and work this out together. And so, Father, I thank you again today for salvation that comes through Jesus. God, thank you that you have brought us together today as Gentiles to the table of Abraham. God, you have brought us together. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's no distinction between slave and free. There's no distinction between male and female. You have brought us to the table. God, help us to keep that culture in Restoration Church, that culture of gentleness, that culture of humility, that culture of love. God, as we continue to work out our salvation. Help us not to treat the blood of Jesus as a common thing, to not give in to what our flesh desires. God, not to give in to self-preservation, not to give in to self-gratification, but to sow to the Spirit. God, to not try to earn our place at the table, but because of our seat at the table, God, to live out this new covenant that you have written upon our hearts so that the watching world around us sees the character of our God. May they see your mercy. May they see your gentleness. May they see your goodness. May they see your purity. May they see your righteousness. May they see every aspect of your character through the body of Christ who is Restoration Church, who is the church in the Huron area, who is the church in this world. So Father, give us grace to wrestle with these issues. Give us grace to walk out our freedom in love. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. God bless you as you go. Can't wait to interact with you tonight at House of Prayer. And don't forget our family fun night this Friday night. Watch your email for the links. God bless.